work with some thoughts and ideas. And, but God, before we do that, before we get into that almost doing mode, we just want to be. And we say, we love you. You know that first thing that you said to Peter? You know, you said, I'm going to build my church on this revelation of who I am. And then right at the end of the book of John, when you just came back and you said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Not do you understand it all, not have you got the degrees, not do you understand the methodology and the eschatology and all of that ology, but God, just Peter, do you love me? Then follow me. God, we just declare to you today, we love you. Lord, we love you. We don't understand so much, but we know this. We love you, we want to follow you. That's it. We love you and we want to follow you. Where you are going is where we want to go. So God, open up our eyes. Open up our eyes. Let us know the way that you're going and we want to follow that. Because we love you. So God, now as we do look at the church others see, God, I pray that you would just open up our minds and our hearts to you as well. God, that what we do will flow out of who we are. That God, of all the activity that we're involved in will flow out of a passionate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. We want to be the church because we want to be the body and because we are the hands and the feet of Christ. We want to be Jesus to a broken and a hurting world. We want to be Jesus to a, a growing, secular, hum, hum, humanistic world. And we want to be Jesus to that world. Help us, I pray. Open up our minds and our understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to skip that video, Helen. All right, just because of time. Please take your seats. I'm um, very excited about what I want to share with you this morning, but some of it's written down and some of it isn't, all right? So we'll see where we're going to go this morning. Um, just out of interest, um, this weekend is the 10th year anniversary of when I took over leading this church. It was 10 years ago this weekend. I don't look a day over 24, do I? Yeah, I am only 24, but that's what... No, it's not. And um, as... Kind of as part of that, really, um, the elders have kind of uh, asked me to go away, basically. Have uh, wanted to, to kind of give me a bit of space uh, just to reflect on some things. So this is the last Sunday that I'll be here for uh, three weeks. I'm going away for three weeks. Uh, I'm going away out of the country. Uh, I'm going to visit some other churches. I'm going to go to some conferences, spend some time with a friend of mine. And uh, just really wanted to seek God, really, you know, about some, some things and just to kind of mark this kind of season. So I really would value your prayers on that. Also, um, a lot today uh, is a very special day because at the 11 o'clock service, uh, we are having a visit of a fellow called Grant and his wife, Sarah. Uh, we've, it, we're on a journey with them to see whether God might be leading them here uh, for him to become the, the leader of youth and children. We don't know whether that's the case or not, but we're on a journey. He's coming at the 11 o'clock. He will be presenting in front of the kids. He'll then be presenting in front of the youth. He'll then be having lunch with a panel of nine people who will be asking him questions. If he gets through that and we all think that that's good, on Tuesday night he'll come to the vision night and then he'll meet the elders after the vision night. Okay, so, and if he gets through that, he's doing really well. Uh, so please pray for him and his 
wife, okay, I, whether it's right or not, I've really enjoyed getting to know them actually and God's really at work in their lives and so that, that's exciting. Um, hasn't the church been in the news a lot recently? While we were away in Albania, because uh, I've got an iPhone now, I was following uh, the news and obviously the, the uh, pastor in America that wanted to burn the Koran, uh, the coming visit of the Pope who's now here amongst us. And it caused me to ask the question is, what is the church that others see? Looked at what is the church that I see, looked at what is the church kind of God sees. You know, with Jesus at the centre last week, Dan looked at what is the church that we see. But what is the church that others, who perhaps aren't part of the church, what is the church that they see? Is it a church that thinks that burning the sacred book of another faith is a good thing to do? See, I'm staggered by that, and I know it's not happening now. I'm staggered because Jesus very rarely made any other comment about any other faith or religion. And there were a lot of other faiths and religions around at the time of Jesus. You read the Bible, Jesus never spoke about them. The only religion that Jesus ever really criticised was his own. You see, when you're secure, you don't need to do things like that with other people's faith and religion because you're secure in who you are. And actually, I wonder what Bible some evangelical Christians are reading these days. When Jesus said, you love your enemies, you don't respond in the same spirit that they attack you. And I'm really grateful that that's not happening. I wonder if the church that others see is the church that on the one hand stands for the values of sexual purity, but on the other hand covers up physical and sexual abuse. That's not a comment about the Catholic faith, but it is a comment about the Catholic church. And we can't, cannot hide from the sad truth that on the one hand, you know, the biggest single faith on the, on the planet, one billion Catholics, that the institution of that on the one hand stands for the values of sexual purity and on the other hand seems to cover up sexual abuse. That can't be right, can it? And I, I, and I know that there's lots of views that we all have about the Catholic faith and, the, and Catholicism and I don't want to get into all of that. Needless to say, I think we should pray for the Pope. I think we should pray for the visit. If one thing, what it's doing is it's raising up the debate about faith in the context of a secular society. And that can't be a bad thing in my opinion. Is the church that others see largely irrelevant, out of touch and out of date? I was watching a debate program the other night uh, uh, where a Catholic bishop was saying that the problem is, he says, that the Catholic church or the church generally is seen as irrelevant uh, by many people because the supreme values in our society now are freedom of rights, are freedom and our rights. And he said, and it was a really perceptive comment, but actually they're not the supreme values. The supreme values are truth and goodness. And we're seen largely ir- irrelevant and out of date. In some ways we are, in other ways we're not. The problem is our culture has shifted. We value freedom and rights now more than we value truth and goodness. And that's something we need to think about. David Cameron, our Prime Minister, speaks out about the big society. Dorothy Day, who is a writer and an activist, she said, our work is to create a society where it's easier to be good. And that is it, isn't it? And the church is, must be, and will be a central part of the big society because our supreme values are truth and goodness. And that has a place in building the kind of society that I believe God dreams about. Before we look into the church or the sea, I want to change tack a little bit. When we were in Albania, um, we, we, I spent a time with a, a, a guy who was becoming a friend of mine. I've met him a couple of times now. Uh, he's, got, he's a guy called Dritten. Dritten is his name. He's uh, from Kosovo. 
And uh, I spent a bit of time with him again and I was inspired again by him and I asked him to come and do devotions with the team and he came and sat around the circle with 11 of our guys and I think they were pretty spellbound by what he was saying. See, Dritten was brought up in Kosovo uh, when it was part of Yugoslavia, when it's part of the kind of the Yugoslavian empire as it was. He was brought up in a, in a country or an annex of Yugoslavia called Kosovo, which is 95% Muslim. So he was brought up in a Muslim home. At the age of 17, he became a Christian when somebody, a, a, a missionary, gave him a tract and the Jesus video. For four years, for four years, all he had in his faith was two other believers in his whole town, a tract and the Jesus video. He'd never heard of church, never. And then, that, so that was his faith for four years and he grew in his relationship with Jesus. Then the two other believers left. So there was only him. His father ostracized him. His family ostracized him. Yet he still believed in Jesus. A missionary came along and told him about church. And all of a sudden, his faith began to expand and began to grow. And he told us about what it was like to be in the Kosovan War, which you remember, you remember is only a few years ago. And how many people in his village saw their wives, their sisters and their mothers raped in front of them and killed. How even now, mothers all throughout Kosovo go to the embassy every day to wait for news of their loved ones that they haven't seen since the war. And he says to me, and do you know what? And when this, when this missionary came and told me about church, I knew that's what I wanted to give my life to. I wanted to build church. I wanted to build the kingdom of God in my country. And he says, and you know what? There are only 40 churches in the whole of Kosovo now. There's two million people. And they, they reckon if you gather them all together, including cats and dogs, there's probably 3,000 believers. It's less than 0.2% or something. And, and, and the reason I say that is because we've got so much, haven't we? We've got so much. And, and when you spend time in countries like this and you think about the cost that people go through in order to worship God, and then I say to you, this week is our vision night, Tuesday and Wednesday. And I have to say to you, if I said to these people in these countries, we've got a vision night, we're going to gather together to see what God is saying to the church, I tell you what, they'd all be there. Nothing else would be as important as being there. Because you know, when, when, when life's like that, and when your faith is that important, all the other things are incidental, aren't they? Because Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will follow. And I want, I want to say that, not to make you feel guilty, but to challenge you and to challenge me as to how much we take it for granted what God has given us. You've got an opportunity this Tuesday or Wednesday. We're doing it twice. I don't know what else you're doing. It ain't as important as coming to hear what God is saying about the vision for this church and for the future. So at 7.30, please come Tuesday or Wednesday. And I guess we'll talk a little bit as we come, as we always tend to do at Vision Night, about the Acts 2 church. We love it, don't we? The Acts 2 church. We love that little description in Acts 2 about the kind of church that God dreams about. The kind of church that we think others see, others want to see. And at the end of the verse... Um, you know, there's a little interesting verse that Eugene Peterson in the message translates it slightly differently. And he says at the end of Acts 2, it says, They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. And here's the phrase, people in general liked what they saw. Isn't that a great phrase? People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew, their number grew as God added those who were saved. People in general liked what they saw. I think that's a really good phrase because what it says is that they didn't like everything they saw. And I think you have to understand this about the church. People will not like everything they see in the church, all right? Because there will be some things that are too challenging to their mindset and to their culture and to their lifestyle. They're not going to like everything. We're going to have to get used to that. But 
I think it's accurate to say the kind of church others should see in our culture. I'm not talking about in a persecuted culture, that's different. But in our culture, in general, they should like what they see. Here's the sad truth. In our culture in the UK, people in general don't like what they see when they look at the church. That ain't right. It isn't right that people don't like what they see. In general, they should like what they see, I believe. You see, the reason I say that is because in general, people like what they see of Jesus, don't they? In general, they like what they see of Jesus, but in general, they don't like what they see of the church. Something's wrong because we are the body of Christ. We're somehow not representing Jesus adequately enough to our culture and to our world. If we were, they would in general like what they see. And what I want to do this morning, and I'm going to run out of time, I can sense it. I want to give you five things that this comes out of my heart and out of my spirit, okay? Not just out of my mind, I think. These are five things that I think are hallmarks of the kind of church that others should see, okay? You all right with that, yeah? Number one, a church that serves the poor is the kind of church others should see. Before you switch off, the poor is not just materially poor. Okay, it's not just materially poor. I mean, I went, you saw it on the video. That place, Porto Romano, which is 10 minutes from the beach in Duras. And you drive there and you saw a little bit about that, um, the whole kind of, uh, uh, you know, dump. And you saw the pigs and there were pigs all over that dump. And as we, as we sat there in the van, there was a bit where the little girl on the bike, which is such a moving thing, we didn't capture it on video. She, she drove past us. And, and what they'd done is they cleared a track right through the middle of the dump so people could get through, they could climb on, they could take food off that dump to feed on and stuff that they could take to sell. That little girl, who must have been eight or nine, came past on a bike and she just drove past us. Right, I mean, it's like something out of a movie. She went right down the track. The mist was there. She, she went to the top. She stood there, got off her bike, climbed on the dump and started looking for food. And I thought, this isn't right, is it? That isn't right. That in any kind of part of the world, that that's okay. What is going on with our culture and with our world and with us? When, when we give out, that's just all our waste that they're living on. It ain't right. But the poor is not just materially poor. The poor is relationally poor. The poor can be morally poor. The poor can be spiritually poor. One of the big debates right now within the church is whether we serve in order to share our faith or whether we serve for its own sake. In other words, when we serve, are we finding or are we losing the gospel? I believe we serve because Jesus served. I believe we serve because it expresses who God is. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life. Listen, we don't serve to convert. We serve because we're converted. And if in the process of serving, people find faith, that is absolutely fantastic. But if you think we're going to serve because it's a great way in order to get people converted, you've missed the heart of the gospel. And you've missed who God is. We don't serve to convert. We serve people because we are converted people, aren't we? And when we serve, we are motivated by the love and compassion of Christ. We're ready to share our faith when appropriate, in season and out of season. We don't apologize for why we do it. Because Paul says, Christ's love compels us. So listen, when we give food out to people in the food bank, we do that because Christ's love compels us. We don't do it to convert them. But listen, we'd love to see them converted. And if it's appropriate and if it's right, then we'll share our faith and we'll see them converted. But we don't do it in order to convert them. We do it because we're converted. And because we want to express the love and the compassion of Christ. 
Now this applies to us as individuals. You are the church that people see. You know, we all get into this. You know what I mean? Oh, our church is poor. Our church is terrible. Do you know what I mean? You are the church. You are the church, aren't you? We don't go to church. We are the church. Applies to you as an individual. John of Kronstadt was a 19th century Russian monk who lived in, in Russia in a time when alcohol abuse was rampant. He went out of the monasteries and he went into the streets compelled by the love of Christ. He would pick up drunken men. He'd look at them and he'd say this. He'd say, this is beneath your dignity. You were meant to house the fullness of God. And I say every single one of you are in a place of work. You're in a place of influence. We're there to serve the poor. And you think, oh, people in my office aren't poor, aren't they? Are they relationally poor? Are they morally poor? Are they spiritually poor? Any of them? Then we're there to serve them, to express the love of Christ. It applies to us as an individual. So inspired this week, just hearing other stories of individuals responding to people in their community, going and cleaning gardens, cleaning houses, not just on action day, but just in life. That's a fantastic thing. Many of you serve, you, I know some of you involved in voluntary things, not connected to the church, like toy library and other things. You go out and you serve people. That's awesome. That's the church that others see. But it does apply to us as a corporate body as well. Occasionally, we get the opportunity to express that as a corporate body. How many of you have ever been on the Community Action Day? Some of you have never been on it. You can do it. Some of you have been on it, and I'll tell you what's happening in our church right now. Our enthusiasm is waning. And that's what, it's easy to start a new project, isn't it? But I'll tell you what, when you start a new project and you get the enthusiasm, how many of you know after a period of time it begins to wane, doesn't it? I tell you what, once a year, it's a great opportunity to go out and just to express a little bit of the love and the heart of God. October the 9th, if you haven't signed up, I want to encourage you to do it right now. Right now this morning. The end of the service, not right now. This morning, I want you to do it, okay? Because it's so, so important. A church that serves the poor is the church that others must see. Number two, a church that fights against injustice. It's interesting that the Bible says if we don't praise God, even the rocks will cry out. Isn't it interesting that the rock stars are the ones who are crying out right now? That Bono and Bob Geldof and people like that, they're crying out about how people and the church should rise up and fight against injustice. Issues such as poverty, aid, trade, exploitation, the environment, disease. Let me just um, read something to you from this magazine that I've been reading at the moment, Leadership Magazine. I just want to read a couple of quotes. And this is interesting, and this this sort of stretch your mind a little bit. The modernistic fundamentalist debates of the early 20th century, social justice was considered the passion of the theologically liberal, okay? While evangelism, seeing people born again, was the passion of the theologically conservative. There's a divide there, isn't there? In other words, you've got the liberal church that said it's all about social action and the evangelical church that said it's all about conversion, evangelism. This divide has been a hallmark of Protestantism ever since. But as the 21st century dawned, this dichotomization, this split of the gospel began changing. Early signs of the shift could be seen in the founding of such relief and development organizations as World Relief and World Vision. They helped evangelicals move beyond exclusive concern for spiritual alienation and lostness, evangelism, to add concern for the physical deprivation of people as well. And he goes on to talk about how this, this kind of, you know, where you've got this like the, the, the theologically liberal people that were very socially engaged and the theologically 
conservative evangelical people that weren't socially engaged but were concerned. And somehow, guys, we've got to bring that together because that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Church that fights against injustice. And that's why I think, and I know that I tweeted this and Facebooked it this week and some of you read it. Many of us, including me, often highlight bits in our Bible in order to highlight the bits that we like and sometimes it means that we can ignore the rest. And I wonder how many of our unhighlighted bits in the Bible talk about injustice and talk about us getting involved in some of these issues. Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that scare me, it's the parts that I do. I want to read something else. This book, Irresistible um, <laughs> Revolution, this is the third time that I'm reading this book. I don't agree with everything he writes, but I just find that I have to like, just get this to challenge me uh, so often. He says this, Meanwhile, many of us find ourselves estranged from the narrow issues that define conservatives and from the shallow spirituality that defines liberals. We're thirsty for social justice and peace, but we have a hard time finding a faith community that is consistently pro-life or recognises that there are moral issues other than homosexuality and abortion. There are moral issues like war and poverty. So some folks just end up trying to save individual souls from their sins and others end up trying to save the world from the system. But rarely do we see that the sickness of our world has infected each of us and that the healing of our world not only begins within us, but it does not end with us. I recently received a letter, listen to this, from a young man that read, I am alone, surrounded by unbelieving activists and inactive believers. You hear that? Unbelieving activists and many people disengaging with it from the church right now because they see the church being disinterested with social engagement. And that, but then they're becoming spiritually almost cut away as well. Unbelieving activists and inactive believers. Where are the true Christians, he says. A silent majority is developing as a growing number of folks are deliberately distancing themselves from the noise and arrogance that have come to mark both evangelical Christianity and secular activism. Said in college, one of my professors said, don't let the world steal your soul. Being a Christian is about choosing Jesus and deciding to do something incredibly daring with your life. I'm challenged by this. There are people in our church who are much further on than me in this. On Monday the 27th of September, which is a week on Monday, in the community zone, there'll be a gathering of people that will come together to think about one of these issues, about the persecuted church. Someone from Release, this organisation that highlights this will be here. I want to encourage you to come. You may think, well, persecuted church, I've never thought about that. Why don't you come? Liz Tilly and James Mountford are heading up this whole area for us and there are loads of other issues that they're going to start to filter out. We must be involved. We must be involved. Church that others see is a church that serves the poor. It's a church that fights against injustice. It's also, number three, a church that is authentic, genuine, honest, open and real. <laughs> That's a lot of points in one point, isn't it? It's a church that actually we practice what we preach. We walk the talk. We don't ask others to do what we won't do. We don't pretend. We don't cover up. We don't boast in us. We only boast in Christ. Amen. If you've got a Bible, 1 Corinthians. I know I'm not using the Bible a lot this morning. But I'm sure you'll understand the undergirding of the Bible through what I'm saying. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Brothers, verse 26, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I want to declare, this is revelation for you. The church is not perfect. How many of you know that? I remember as a kid... Growing up in church, I grew up in the Salvation Army. I remember hearing about disputes in the Salvation Army as a kid, all right? Thinking, surely in a the church there aren't any disputes. Then I remember my dad telling me that there was one dispute, one Wednesday night at band practice, which ended up with a trombone being wrapped around the head of another bandsman. And I thought, okay, so there are conflicts within a church environment. And you know what? The church isn't perfect, is it? Which is, this is why it's such a big deal of what's been going on in the Catholic Church. Because if there was just more openness and accountability and transparency, you know, people are not stupid. People can forgive humanity. They can even forgive sin if we deal with it rightly. But when we start to hide or pretend or cover up, we're not the church. We're not the church. And if you think, oh yeah, but the church, the other, it's a hypocritical church. Well, yes, it is. And there's room for one more, isn't there? Because I'm a hypocrite. I don't know about you. Because sometimes, you know, I don't do what I claim to be. Anyone else? I struggle with anger. I'm irritable. I can be bossy and manipulative. I can be anxious. I can doubt a lot of the time. And I know that God is changing me. But that's who I am. <laughs> and I'm not saying that to say that's how I want to stay. Because God loves us as we are, but He loves us too much to leave us as we are. So it's not okay to be all those things. But it's okay to say, I'm, o- I'm not okay and that's okay. But I want to be changed, don't you? And the church that others see has got to be a church that is authentic, that is open, that is genuine, and that is real. And I want to encourage you, if you're new, you know, and you haven't integrated into the life of this community, come to that connecting lunch on the 3rd. The day after on the 4th, on Monday night, there's three Monday nights called the Journey Course, where we're going to explore the values that make us who we are, the values we aspire to live with, We want to be authentic, we want to be devoted, we want to be connected, we want to be missional, we want to be sacrificial. That's who we are. And we want to explore that, I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Number four, a church that others see has got to be a church that is counter-cultural. This is where we might get to the point where in general they like what they see, but they might not like this. Because we have to be counter-cultural. You see, the gospel, the word gospel isn't a Christian word, it's a Roman word means good news. It comes from the Roman Empire system. When they announced the coming of a new emperor, it was called the gospel. Okay, It was the good news of someone coming to bring peace to the land and to be the saviour. And that word was taken. And so when the early church used that word, the Roman world of the day understood what it meant. The first followers of Christ were not called Christians. They were known as the way. It was known as the way. Faith is not a belief. It's a way of living, isn't it? It's a way of being. It's our lifestyle. They defied the emperor who said Caesar is Lord. And they said, no, no, no. Jesus is Lord and we're going to live our lives this way. And at certain moments, at certain times, this way will clash with your way. So be it. Because it has to be countercultural. Now here's my question. Is our way any different from anybody else's way? Do we, is our view of money any different from anybody else in our office? 
Are we any less anxious about money than anyone else in our office? Is our view of our time and how we're going to spend our time any different from anybody else's in our office? Is our view of how we treat our job and our boss and our responsibility any different from anybody else's in our office? Is the way that we watch television and the things that we watch and the things that we read and the things that we buy and the things that we eat, is any of that any different from anybody else's? Is our way any different from anybody else's way? It's challenging, isn't it? Our culture says that the individual is king, but the way says that Christ is king. Our culture says earn, save and spend as much as you can, but the way says be generous give. Our culture says it's all about my rights, but the way says it's all about responsibilities. So which way are you going? (laughs) Which way are we going as a church? We have to be counter-cultural. And the final thing I want to say is that the church that others see, as well as serving the poor and fighting injustice and being open and authentic and genuine and honest and real, as well as being counter-cultural, the church that others see is the church that is moved, sustained and sent by the power of God's Spirit. You know, right at the start of this series, I used this quote from Dallas Willard, God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. I want to read you something that I've written. We are not the social services. We are not the education services. We are not the health service. We are not the youth service. We're not a business. We're not an industry. We're not an organization or a corporation. We're not a club, a hobby, a group or a fad. We're the church of Jesus Christ, aren't we? And we may touch all of those things, but that's not who we are. We value all of those. That's great. We'll partner with all of those. That's great. That's not who we are. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are moved, sustained and sent by the power of the Holy Spirit. The supernatural presence of God is what defines us. So as we serve the poor, as we fight injustice, as we're countercultural, as we're open and real, we must never forget that we're the church of Christ, aren't we? We are motivated by God's Spirit. This is the church that God sees. This is the church that I still see. Even on my darker days. This is the church that others desperately need and I believe deep down want to see. Do you see it? You know, if you do, this is the church that you could invite people to come and be a part of. Couldn't you? And you've got a great opportunity next Sunday with Back to Church Sunday. Do you know what? Why many of us won't invite people because we don't really believe it in ourselves. But if deep down in the core of your being, you know, do you know what? The church isn't perfect, I know that. But deep down, I really believe that this is the church that God sees and I want others to see it. Then we'll start inviting people. Because I tell you what, in the early church, every day the Bible said, God added to the number of those who were being saved. How did that happen? I think because those people that got it, they got it so much and so passionate, they could not help from spreading it out to their friends and family. And every day, God added to the number daily, those who were being saved. This is the church that will remain. I want to read a final quote, then I'm going to show you a video, and then we're going to sing, and then we're done. Listen to this. One of the central metaphors for God and His people throughout the Bible is that of a groom and his bride. God is the groom. His people are the bride. I like this because it makes the church a she. 
And we need to reclaim this image. The church is a she. She's a mystery, isn't she? Still going after all this time. After the Crusades and the Inquisition and Christian cable television. Still going. And there continues to be people like me who believe that she's one of the best ideas ever. In spite of all the ways she's veered off the track. In spite of all the people who've actually turned away from God because of what they've experienced in church. I'm starting to realise why. The church is like a double-edged sword. When it's good, when it's on, when it's right, it's like nothing on earth. A group of people committed to selflessly serving and loving the world around them. Great. But when it's bad, all that potential gets turned the other way. From the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Sometimes in the same week, sometimes in the same day. Listen to this. But she will live on. She's indestructible. When she dies in one part of the world, she explodes in another. She's global. She's universal. She's everywhere. And while she's fragile, she's going to endure. In every generation, there will be those who see her beauty and they'll give their lives to see her shine. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against her. That's strong language and it's true. She will continue to roll across the ages, serving and giving and connecting people with God and with each other. And people will abuse her and manipulate her and try to control her, but they will pass on and she will keep going. Isn't that right? I want you to watch the screens. And this is a challenge, not to go to church, but to be the church. To be the church that God dreams about, that others desperately need to see. some scriptures out over you this morning just kind of close your eyes for a minute just let the words of scripture this is holy scripture the word of God some of this is thousands of years old just let the truth of this just inspire your heart again today Jesus said I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it 
His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And Christ is the head of the church, His body of which He is the Saviour. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and His kingdom will never end. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. And I believe this is a word for us as a church, not as an individual. Zion, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Zion, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who believe and are saved. Father, we just declare this morning that we will persevere and that we will be, and that we will be the church that you see. The church that we see, the church that others see, the church that Jesus dreams about, the church that Jesus gave His life for, the good news of Christ, fleshed out, incarnated in our culture, serving the poor, fighting injustice, being honest and open, being countercultural, motivated by the power of the Spirit of Christ. So God, be our vision today, I pray. Inspire us, lift up our eyes, Lord God. And on this day, when in this nation so many people will be thinking about faith, that faith debate is in the public arena again. Lord, I pray, let the church arise. Let the church arise. I don't care what denomination it is. I don't care where it meets. I don't care it's about its style or its methodology, its hymn books or any of that stuff. God, let the church of Jesus arise. Let, you, let it be the hands and the feet of Jesus, I pray. And let us be the church in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,